Cloudspeaker Studios. Sean, and you're listening to Talking Trauma with Zach Bynes. Don't go anywhere, or I'll fucking kill you. Welcome to the show. Zach Bynes. Today, I have a very special guest on the show, which you probably guessed from the title of the episode when you click play in your podcast player. But uh, I do want to say thank you for everybody out there who's listened so far. Um, I appreciate all the feedback I've gotten from the show and that I've been able to share my love of trauma. Don't worry, I'm not going away. This is just a quick break while I have to pack up and move houses um, and I'm going to come back with even more crazy trauma movies that some of you probably have never heard of and some that you have more special guests and all that fun stuff I do want to hear from you though um, hit me up at Talkin Trauma on Twitter and uh, our comment on YouTube or find me on Facebook or, or any of that um, at Lego Larry on Instagram and Twitter for me Zach Bynes on Facebook and tell me what you like about the show uh what you don't like about the show is the double feature part of the show something that you guys like or does it feel a little too much for you um is there a trauma movie that you're like why the fuck haven't you talked about this yet I really want to hear about fertilized a blaspheming bombshell or blondes have more guns or femme fontaine killer babe from the CIA um or is there a guest that you want to have on the show i am planning on getting lloyd coming up probably for uh you know a more milestone episode hopefully like 25 if uh when i get that far um are do you think hey i have this trauma movie that nobody ever talks about and i want to talk to zach about this title i would love for you to hit me up and come on the show so without further ado Let's hop into the season finale of Talkin' Troma. Hear the, hear the interview with Tromaville Royalty right after the Tromaville Cafe theme song. Let's go!
he's in almost 300 movies. Nearly 25 of those are trauma films or projects. A veteran of independent cinema, screen queen, and trauma royalty, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Debbie Rashawn. Oh, hello, Zach. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. I'm so Thank excited you for coming to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to, to talk to you. We've talked briefly on Poultry Guys, which we'll get to, and briefly at conventions, but I'm I'm excited to pick your brain about all the different trauma movies and stuff you've worked on. Yeah, and there's a lot. I mean, if you include all the productions and all the, you know, uh, flights to Cannes and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it goes, it goes pretty deep. It goes pretty deep, yeah. So I'm just going to dive right in. So the first thing that I could find that you, you worked with trauma is back in 1993 for the trauma system where you mm -hmm. played Edna Perlmutter, who was uh, just stressed out with her eight children. Was that the first thing you ever did with trauma? It wasn't the very first thing, but it was, it was up there. I mean, I had done some uh, poster art with them where, you know, they'd pick up titles and they'd reshoot the cover, retitle the movie and all that kind of stuff, recut it in some cases. Um, so I did that with them. I had met Lloyd because I was doing an interview for a magazine. Um, I was writing about trauma and I was also an actress at that time, of course. Um, and so I did like some of the poster art with them and then some of the live events like, uh, New York city, city hall would have a film event in uh, central park and I would go there with trauma. And then we did a bunch of, um, wraparound for various cable channels when they were coming up, uh, like all over the world, be it Germany or, you know, in the States yeah. or whatever. So I was doing like a lot of that. And then came uh, the trauma system for Comedy Central, which was called Ha Ha when it first started. <laughs> for I think a very, very short amount of time, it was called Haha channel. <laughs> That's probably so, a good idea. They changed that name. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it was a great idea. But it was fun because um, you know, obviously it was a takeoff on um, the infomercials that were crazy then. Like there were so many of them on all the time in TV. So it was a takeoff on them. But at the same time, we were really making one that you could buy something from, which is pure trauma. So um, it, it was a lot of fun, and, and we did something um at comedy central and you know bill maher was there and um a couple other people i'll think of their names in a minute but they were just coming through they were just starting out and you know just walking through the halls and doing their thing and yeah. uh oh jackie the joke man was there and you know so it was like a really interesting time it was a really interesting time I was going to ask, because you are on a lot of different uh, trauma movie posters for stuff that you're not in. Has that ever caused confusion, like with your fans? Like, why aren't you in the horror of the humongous Hungan? <laughs> right, right. Uh, not really. I mean, I think by the time I was doing anything to have any fans, I think they pretty much knew the story and certainly the, gotcha. the story of trauma. So um i i don't think it's ever really caused any confusion it might nowadays but back then i think everybody was pretty hip to uh what's what going on yeah 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 okay cool yeah i was i always uh thought thought it was fun seeing you on the posters like ah i know i know that movie but <laughs> so it's always kind of fun. yeah yeah that was and, common back then very common yeah um and then 
there was like the Troma Theater and Tromaville Cafe where where I where you played Super Tromat Hypothermia. Did you ever have any other Super Tromat names that you remember? Um, or was it always Hypothermia? It was, you know, it was Hypothermia. If there was, I don't remember. And I remember that Lloyd would he would never uh, call the actresses their names. He would just sort of give them like traumatized names. So you never really knew what, <laughs> what name, well, I was gonna say what you're gonna be called, but you, what name you were gonna be called. And of course you just went with it because it was, you know, you, it was just acting and you were having yeah. fun and Lloyd was just throwing that at you. So it was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm hypothermia today. And, um, so yeah, he, he kind of did that. It was very smart uh, in a lot of ways because he kept the trauma universe itself. Like he kept it within the trauma universe. It wasn't like, oh, here's, you know, so-and-so, you know, trying to um, uh, uh, make it about them, so to speak. Yeah. It was within keeping in the universe, if you will. And everybody know, knows universes now because of, you know, MCU and all these, these different ones that they have. But then it was like the trauma universe. And so um, if I was called anything else, <laughs> that's an <laughs> interesting statement. If I was, I didn't know. So uh, I think it was pretty much uh, myself and others called uh, hypothermia. I don't think I was the only hypothermia. I had a friend, she got the the nickname Super Tromet Diarrhea, and I felt a little bad at the time. She's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> Why'd I get that one? I know. <laughs> and it's whatever comes to Lloyd in the moment. So it's like reflective of like, you know, yeah, ho hope he's having a great day because yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows what you're going to be today. So yes, whatever, whatever comes to his mind, it's certainly not written. So yeah. I feel for her. I feel for her. Yeah, I do. How, how much of those um, early like skits and uh, like the Tromaville Cafe stuff was like actually scripted out, or how much was improvised on set? Well, it was all scripted out. Like it was really scripted out uh, quite a bit because the beginning uh, Tromaville Cafe stuff James Gunn wrote, and he was in. Yeah. Um, as well so like he had a very clear vision like where it was all gonna go and you know the stories within them you could improvise if you wanted to i think for myself there might have been a little less improvisation than some yes but it was kind of like um i was just getting my chops he had written stuff that was so tight if you will um and we just kind of went with it and you know we just followed the script then by the time it mutated into like two or three different shows later and it was trauma's edge tv and doug sackman was directing and shooting it um i mean when we would go to like central park or somewhere yeah. he also had a script that he wrote and it was always really good because he's an incredibly talented guy like he really yeah. is and um, that's sort of jumping ahead a bit because that was after Citizen Toxie where he came on board and worked at Trauma. But as far as those shows go, um, you know, he would definitely, you know, love tons of improvisation, but he would, he was cool too because he would shoot in sequence. So 
whatever, wherever you went with it or wherever he suggested that you go with it, yeah. it was always like, it made sense. It wasn't like, you know, something he couldn't cut together. So it was amazing that um, Lloyd was, um, I really want to say lucky enough, you know, really, because he had like all these great people making these shows. Um, and they were always like really talented and they went on to be in, in their own unique ways, extremely, extremely successful. Yeah. Um, and, and they all are. And like I say, in their own unique ways. So, I mean, yeah, I think it was really lucky to have like such powerful talent behind it all. Was Lloyd on set a lot for those Tromaville cafes and skits or just like his cameo or did he direct, direct a lot of those? Um, he was on mostly just for his cameo, but he was in a lot of it, keep in mind. I think in the beginning, uh, certainly with the Tromaville Cafe, he was there overseeing it as well because it was kind of new, this particular idea. I mean, he had done so much stuff, but this particular idea was new, and so he was there to oversee it. Yeah. But, I mean, quite often it was just James because at a certain point in the day. I mean, the funny thing about Lloyd is um, he's, uh, or at least was, a very nine to five guy. So, I mean, if you got there at 7.30 or eight to get ready and five o'clock rolled around and, and it wasn't done, he was like, okay, you guys know what you're doing. Um, I'll see you tomorrow. And he would, you know, if, if he was yeah. done with the part on camera, he would just, you know, a head out and leave it to the the kids if you will yeah so yeah so but he was there for a lot of it a lot less for doug sapman's stuff because I, I know he was busy doing other stuff and he he would just shoot his parts at that point but he was so i mean it, it was so um understood and he knew uh doug certainly and whoever was doing you know shooting so well at that point that he was comfortable like letting the the um inmates of the asylum run the show. <laughs> that was good. Did, so in those early days, was Michael Hers more around on any of the projects or have any input? I know later on he definitely removed himself, but I know like in the trauma system, he, he shows up. So, and a, and a little bit in Tromaville Cafe, but not much. So I wasn't sure how much involvement he had there. Yeah, so that's an interesting point because when I started there and we were doing like intros for the VHS boxes, you know, yes. the VHS cassettes, I should say, um, he was in the little bits where we're all dancing to no music and, you know, having fun and, hey, get Sergeant Kabuki, man, NYPD, and it'd be Lloyd and Michael Hers in the front and it would be us dancing around, you know, to no music in the background. And so he was very involved for quite some time. And it wasn't until Tromeo and Juliet that he really, um, I don't want to say stopped being involved because obviously it's his money. Yeah. And that's very, he was always extremely generous with doing what Lloyd wanted to do. So, um, and okaying it, that's really big. Yeah. And so you can't underscore that. But his appearance in front of the camera really stopped with um, Tromeo and Juliet. Um, it was my understanding at the time and let Lloyd correct me, but, um, he did not want to do that. Like he wasn't interested in it. It wasn't like, yeah. Oh, I don't want to do that script so much. It was kind of like, he was more interested in 
maybe more Toxie or, you know, whatever he was interested in at the time, uh, more uh, class Newcomb High type of movies. And it probably felt like a big deviation. But yeah. uh, so he, he was just like, okay, well, you do it. You know, you, you Lloyd do it. And so Lloyd and James Gunn did it. And it was a really good call on their part because it, the deviation really, in, in my personal opinion, I wasn't, you know, I don't know this, the situation of the yeah. book, but I think it was a good turn for them. And it was a good new, like, reimagining, if you will. Certainly. And so on Tromeo and Juliet, um, you play Ness, the, yes. the nurse. Yeah. Uh, and that that was my first introduction to to you was when I saw it. Well, maybe the introductions on the tapes, but definitely in a in a larger scope. Um, and I was convinced. Well, first I didn't recognize you from the intros. You had all the tattoos and the piercings, and they looked yeah. so realistic. <laughs> yes, I know they really they really do. Like we spent hours every day putting those tattoos and gluing the piercings on. I mean, I really got my belly button pierced prior to the shoot because I really felt like from my training and people watching this uh, will probably think this is a strange comment coming from me, but I actually come from like a lot of uh, acting school training and theater prior to this. So to me, I was like, well, I have to experience something. So like I got my belly button done because I wanted to like at least know what a piercing felt like. So I was yeah. going to be, you know, totally pierced and tattooed up. And so I had that done. And, uh, but we spent a lot of, a lot of hours every day just in makeup, like to make sure that they were, you know, not running or they were clear as the day before. And they did a really an outstanding job. Um, so yeah. They're, yeah, they're super realistic. Um, in Tromeo and Juliet, did you audition for that role or with your prior uh, experience and just relationship with James and Lloyd and everybody, where they, did they just offer that to you? Well, it was a strange combination of both. I definitely auditioned for it. Um, prior to James writing his script, and as a matter of fact, it was on the infomercial set, which was at Lloyd's house that he gave me his version before it turned into the other one of Tromeo and Juliet. And he said, read this and see if there's anything you like in it. And I, you know, took it home and I read it and everything. And then fast forward, you know, maybe eight months or so. And they had a different script and you no, know, they did like, as they do to this day, like even if, you know, it's not yeah. worded as an audition, like Shakespeare shitstorm is like, you know, you're sending in video of yourself because two things. One is like they want to get the right person to do the right role. Like you may be in it, like you may have that sort of edge if you've been with the company, but what role is, is what they're looking at and who yeah. looks good with who. So um, I, when I auditioned, um, and I wasn't even like, really, I was so not right for it, but what I read for was Juliet, but that's perfectly fine because they, they could see you, they could hear you and they can imagine you as whatever character they want. Yeah. So, um, I did read technically the lines of Juliet, but you know, even myself, I was like, well, I'm not, 
I'm not really, I'm not Juliet. Like Juliet is, is just a different type than me. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like even, even to this day, he will still, whether he calls it it or not, he <laughs> will, um, uh, you, you send in a tape. And then also what happens is, you know, a lot of the rewriting will come from the tapes as well. So there's a reason behind the madness. There always is. So on Tromeo and Juliet and going, just looking at Shitstorm, was there a difference between how the trauma team worked and lived? Um, I know like on Shitstorm and Poultrygeist and Citizen Toxie, all those like people were, you know, living basically at the locations and flew in all over the world because they were trauma fans. Is that the same thing on Tromeo and Juliet? Well, it, it wasn't. Um, if there was people that flew in, I didn't know because I don't think I was as, as deeply aware of those types of things. It's a, a strange thing to say. The reason I say that is because we shot Tromeo and Juliet locations all in New York. We all lived in New York. Yeah. So we all went home every night and that included the, the crew. So um, we would just show up at whatever location. There'd be a van in Union Square, you know, 14th Street Union Square that would pick up all the actors, which was very close to me because I lived in the East Village. So it, all the actors would like fall in. Some had been up all night, you know, and some, and some were like, you know, bright eye, bushy tail. <laughs> but whatever the case may be, we, we would uh, sort of fall in. And it was the same with Terra Firmer. Um, it was all extremely local. So, um, but as far as like the crew goes to the best of my knowledge, they were also local. Um, I, I don't believe, and I could be very wrong, but I don't believe people sort of flying themselves in to work on the movie was quite happening for, um, that movie anyway. How, how much of Tromeo and Juliet was uh, directed by Lloyd and how much was directed by James? I know in the, in the book, uh, James talks about, you know, interjecting things here and there and just kind of given his status now as director, it'd, it'd be curious to know, like, was it 50-50 or Lloyd doing more of the directing on there? Or? Right. And that's like, a, it, it's such a good question because the truth is, we did all of our rehearsals with James. So, um, and they rented the space in Times Square. And I'll never forget like the amount of times I had to go there and I was rehearsing with Jane Jensen who played Juliet. So I remember, and this is not meant to be like scandalous, but I yeah. just, you know, I, this is a reflection of me. I'm not, you know, putting a reflection on anybody else when I say this, but you know, it, it really is like of where Lloyd comes from that, you know, if people um, are going to be nude in a movie, then they must rehearse that way. Otherwise, he's afraid they're going to bag on him in the middle of the shoot and it's going to destroy the movie for what he wants if he wants it in that scene. Like it's important to him to have it in that scene as a director, right? So I remember... Um, not just the rehearsing acting wise, but I remember James was like, okay, and you know, can you guys do it like you're gonna do it? Like, you know, whatever it is, topless or whatever. And I, rem I remember saying, I, I said, no, I can't. Like I'm in the moment, I'll have no problem, but I'm not comfortable doing that. And I, 
and I was like, I felt really bad, but it was just like, as they say nowadays, my truth. It was sort of like, I knew that I could do it in the moment because all the adrenaline's going, it's important. Everything's set up. Everybody is like working on their own stuff. And, um, but I felt like it was like so intimate that it was almost more uncomfortable. Yeah. Does that make sense? As opposed to like the mad rush of everything going on and like it not being a big deal and you're moving on to the next scene in a second. And uh, so it was really weird. Um, but he did all the rehearsals with the actors. So on set, um, he would direct all of the actors and Lloyd was directing more of like the camera work, the technical aspects, um, the, the shots, if you will, um, that sort of part of it. And James, having so much to do with the script, was working really heavily with the actors. So if you were to ask an actor who was the main director, they wouldn't be wrong if they said James. Yeah. If you were to speak to the crew members, they wouldn't be wrong if they said Lloyd. So it was really, uh, depending on what department you were working in, honestly, like, you know, for costumes or, or uh the tattoos or whatever, or the look of a character, it would have to go through both of them. But, um, so I would, I would break it down that way. That's probably the most, um, the easiest way to understand who was doing what. That's pretty interesting. That's kind of the impression I I got just from seeing Lloyd on set, but I never really heard it discussed before. So probably one of your most infamous scenes in the, in the movie is your sex scene with Jane Jensen. Um, and in the book, Lloyd talks about how uncomfortable on set that was to film. The book, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking, I Learned from the Toxic Avenger. He talks about, you know, just kind of the overzealous lighting guys. Was that, is that pretty accurate uh, to um, how it was? It's, it's funny because I have to say that, well, if he said it, then it's true. And the reason I say that is because, like, like I was mentioning before, when you're doing something and you are uh, really, this sounds very sexual, but I mean it technically, when you're like deeply into it, and by the way, when you're making these scenes, like sex scenes, for example, you wanna get it right the first time. Why? Because you don't have to do it again. Yeah. And that's like your motivation. So you're just like so committed, so into it, like just going for it. And it, and it, by the way, I mean, Jane Jensen, if there was ever to be a woman that was easy to work with and do this sort of thing, I just adored her. It, she was so easy to do these scenes with. I will forever be grateful to her. Trust me. Like, and, and she's so beautiful and it was easy to, you know, be attracted to her and do the scene just like, you know, duh, <laughs> it just was. but it was her personality that made it such. It wasn't like she was, you know, really a difficult person in reality and made it uncomfortable on a personal level, regardless of what she looked like. So she, as a person, made it insanely easy. Now, was it hard doing it? Like I say, it was more like my motivation um, was to just be really seriously authentic and truthful. And so I wouldn't have to do it again. And it being shot on film, 
there was a really good chance if all the technical stuff was right, that's the other part of it, right? 50% yeah. of it is that. So if their side was good, I was going to make sure that our side was really good so that we'd be able to move on. And that was for her comfort too, because as easy as she was to work with and easygoing, I could, you know, I was just like super aware of like, you know, being, um, making everybody comfortable. So I sincerely from the bottom of my heart went for it. And I was like, okay, we got this right. Then we'll be moving on because of the film. I mean, the actual, the physical film too, that was a big part of it. Well, and that's something I, I don't think the average moviegoer realizes. What you see on the screen, as opposed to all the inner workings, shooting sex scenes, as you know, is is probably one of the more uncomfortable things in filmmaking. So. It really is. I mean, it, it's, and then it's funny because the natural thing, as it's designed to do, is to be... I say sexualized and that sounds like a judgment or something negative, but that's what it's designed to do. Like, so it is yeah. like, so they're right. They're correct. Hopefully they do feel that way. But then when people talk to you about it and they act as though uh, it was just another night for you that happened to be caught on film, you're kind of like, well, you know, it's, I'm glad that it worked and I'm grateful that it worked. Trust me. Cause that was the point of it. That's your job as an actor. So it's, it's a compliment, but you know, to, if you think that, you know, that was just me being me, you know, as people, at least they used to do, I don't know if they do this anymore because everybody's so aware about film and filmmaking now, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That, um, they don't, they don't, they're not quite the same as they were back then. The viewers. Was was there anything and just through all of all of the trauma career, was there any anything where you had to tell Lloyd like that's too much, like I'm not gonna do that? Um I really have to say, unless something comes to mind, I have to say no because I've always read the scripts, yeah. obviously, right? But I, I already know going in what i'm doing so i'm not being on the spot exploited because um that's part of the storytelling that he's doing you know that's his style um it's like saying to to lynch on the set of crash um or excuse me a cronenberg on the set of crash it's like you know oh i don't want to you know do that because uh, no that the movie the movie's about that yeah so I mean, it's like, it's crazy. What are you, what are you talking about? And, but it would happen to Lloyd. Like if they didn't shoot, just like in his book, if they didn't shoot their sex or naked scenes first, and they had a whole bunch in the can and it was being shot on film, how easy was it? And it happened all the time where people would suddenly say, you know, I don't really don't want to do it or start crying and say they don't want to do it. And what's he going to do? Yeah. Matt. So that and it's, it really was like there was a reason that he did that sort of thing. And and by the way, it's good as an actor because it gets that out of the way. You don't have to dread that day. You don't have to say, "Oh, okay, that day, that day is in two weeks," and you're kind of thinking about that day the whole time. Whereas if you get it over with right away, you don't know the crew as well. Yeah. You know, it's out of the way. You're not thinking about it. And it's it's done, and now you can just 
concern about the acting. On that into acting, you play an actor in the next trauma movie, Terror Firm. You play Christine. How is how is that kind of playing a almost like a parody of yourself in that movie or a parody of, you know, the screen queen low budget actress? Well, it was, I can't even tell you what a joy it was because I know the three people that he based the character on and, um, and just like, it wasn't their whole being that he was basing it on. It was like his experiences. So it had nothing to do with me per se. I mean, I could understand that it's an actress, right? Uh, but um, I knew the three people he was drawing from and like the hard experiences that he had with them. So I kind of like, I'd seen the movies and I knew the people. And so I kind of like knew exactly, exactly what he was looking for. And I was, it was such, such a joy. I mean, really, it was just such a joy to be such an ass like you know and again it's just taking one tiny aspect of um whether it be these people or actresses in general but then blowing it up to like cartoon size right and that was just just going from like the seriousness of ness to like the complete outrageousness of christine that was that was such a joy, I swear. And that for me is my, like watching, I mean, not my performance, um, but like as a movie, that's my favorite uh, trauma movie to watch. Yeah, it's right up there for me too. It's It captures like, I don't know, the perfect feeling of, of when you think of trauma and the wackiness and the zaniness and it's, yeah, yeah it's so much fun. Terra Firmer kind of has the whole idea of, you know, all these crazy, um, you just people coming around to work on the movie. Was, was that how that was on set? I know you said people were coming and going, uh, but of behind the scenes and even on the documentary, you do see a little bit of the cast and crew. Was it, was it as like looking forward, was it as crazy on that set or did Terraformer kind of set that precedent of this is how a trauma movie is? I think you're right. I think it kind of set the precedent in a lot of ways because there seemed to be a lot more uh, people from away, like, you know, from other countries and stuff were starting to come on. And I think it was because of uh, Tromeo and Juliet had really did, you know, that really did a reset for Troma because prior to that, they were really like, local local movies like looking you know prior to that yeah and um with Tromeo and Juliet sort of like blowing open the doors to a new generation then in Terra Firma you had like while a lot of the actors were Lower East Side uh stars rock and roll stars uh performance artist stars like just all like local incredible artists at the same time you had like a lot of people coming on and just being so jacked to be there because it was just electric with people coming and going and it really was it just it had a completely different vibe um you know one is not better than another but just just different Different. it was like so so jacked with like press you know constantly there and um yeah it was like really it was kind of a big deal but again 
being shot in Brooklyn, we were all going home at night, so we weren't sleeping there yet. That would be the next movie. The next movie, <laughs> which is Citizen Toxie. Yeah. yeah. Where you're, you're Miss Wiener. <laughs> yeah, Miss Wiener, absolutely. And so, I actually took the name from one of the producers on uh, Terra Firma. His oh, name was Wiener, and I always like, thought he had the best name ever. So when I was doing Citizen Toxie, it just said teacher in the script. And I said, hey, Lloyd, I think she should be Ms. Ms. Wiener. And he was like, okay, good. So on Citizen Toxie, um, it, you were filming in a school, it, like a, a was it an abandoned school or just closed for the summer? It was, I'm pretty sure it was just closed for the summer. And oh my God, I can't even tell you how hot it was. There was no air conditioning, nothing. It was just like, it was brutal. It was up in Poughkeepsie. So this was the first time that everybody had gone to the set and just stayed there. You know, everybody from New York included. So um, yeah, that was, a, that was a really different experience for the first time. How, so, and in that scene you were talking about with no air conditioning, being super hot, you're like tied up to the ceiling wearing, you know, the, the pregnant belly on there. How long of, of that shoot was there? Was that uh, more than one day being tied up to the ceiling? Yeah, that was, that was really brutal. And not because, oh, you're tied up to a ceiling. So I've done harder things in movies, but the weight of the belly it was like a real prosthetic. It was like a foam piece where it was weightless. Yeah. So it was super, super heavy. So my back was just destroyed. Like it was, it was really, it was really hard because in the heat and the amount of hours uh, we were shooting, um, wearing the belly, which was such a heavy piece for so many hours like it was everything you could do to just find a place anywhere like on a bench or somewhere to lay down in between just to rest your back because yeah the back was really going on that one i gotta say like it, it was that piece more than being hung up um that was the the difficult part and i was watching the behind the scenes of that the other day and it that room shoot looked pretty unbearable for like tensions because the guns aren't working and did you get hit with any of the plastic shrapnel that was getting shot around the room i was very lucky that i did not and it was yeah there was everything that could go wrong it just seemed like you know was was kind of going wrong you know it wasn't so wrong that we didn't get it uh, but this was the first movie that Trent was now in the place of Will Keenan, who was in the place of James Gunn. So this on this show, it was sort of like Lloyd's right hand man was Trent Haga. So and and Gabe Friedman too, but uh, Trent was sort of the main guy. So the weapons guy, um, you know, bless him for bringing all that stuff and everything and doing the um, the the send up. Uh, it's not like a comedic one. It was, there's a social point to it. So when I say that it sounds uh, heartless, but there was a social point to the school shoot up in that scene. So they obviously needed like, you know, outrageous weaponry, yeah. like all kinds of rounds that just weren't, you know, clicking in the, the guns and, you know, it was all done extremely safely. But then of course you had the plastic bullets and, 
So it was uh, every time one would jam, which is like every two seconds, it, it seemed like everything went down. Yeah. It's still on film, still shooting on film. So Lloyd was, you know, understandably completely aggravated. And uh, everybody was, the, the extras, the actors, the crew, everybody was just beside themselves because it was one of those things where on a good day, everything goes well, you're still like dying of sweat. So when those things were going wrong, it was extremely stressful because Lloyd was like completely losing it. And that didn't help. Yeah. Because the stress on the guys with the guns, they were just like, so, I mean, it was just like, just swirling out of control, the, the stress level. So, were yeah. you Were you there for much of the other uh, parts of the shoot or just mostly in that classroom scene? Um, I was there for a few other days. I was there for 10 days total because I had like the outside of the school, which was yeah. a different school and um, the end scene, which um, I'm proud to say the, the fake freeze frame where everybody's just holding. Yeah. <laughs> that was my idea. I said to Lloyd, I said, um, we should just freeze and just pretend that we're frozen like a seventies movie. And then, you know, he, Kabuki Man could wheel in and it looks like, you know, um, he's wheeling in this special effect. And I said, and he said, yeah, let's, let's try that. And then they, they ended up, I was surprised that they ended up using it. It's but, pretty funny. It's a funny gag. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be funny. Like if we were all, cause obviously somebody's going to move slightly and the audience will see that. Right. And it was like, yeah. I said, Lloyd, it's like a special effect without any money. You know, it's funny. <laughs> And, uh, but you know, God bless him. He used it. He went with it. So a lot of, a lot of directors, I should say would not because yeah. that sounds, but I'm glad that he did. That was, that made me happy. So after citizen Toxie, it seems like there was a lot of stuff going on at the trauma offices that you were part of, um, like parts of the family and then doing a voiceover in doggy tales, uh, doggy tales. One of my, I, I unironically love that movie. There's something genius about it. I don't feel like Trevor quite realizes that they have something pretty fun on their hands. Can you talk a little bit about Doggy Tales? Yeah, Doggy Tales was funny because it was just simply, you know, the director, um, Paul, and I know, I think it was Gabe was involved. All they really did to make, because, uh, you know, children's movies and voiceover, uh, dogs and cats movies was all the rage. Yeah. And so, like, their only family venture, if you will, family film. And people to this day will look at Troma and they'll look at the title of the movie and they'll think that it's a porno movie. No, it is actually a family movie, a trauma family movie. Yeah. But it was basically the director, Paul, went out and literally just shot dogs in a, a dog like park area. Yeah. In park. I honestly, to the best of my knowledge, I don't even think any of the people knew their dogs were being filmed. <laughs> oh, really serious. He just got like a bunch of random footage of dogs. Like it wasn't a bunch of dog actors that were involved. He just yeah. got this and cut it together so it seems like a story and then did like the wraparound and then the voices so i think it's like hilarious and genius all at the same time because it's just you know 
literally random footage of, of, of animals in a park and you made a movie out of it. So I, I think we laugh. It's really funny. And I think it's pretty funny too, like of all the, the trauma produced stuff, it has probably one of the like the biggest like names as far as cast goes. It has you and James Gunn and Jenna Fisher in there in the, the kids dog movie. <laughs> I know, and it was right at the same time where Jenna Fisher had made Lolly Love. Yes. Choma so was putting that out. So almost like, um, I wouldn't say as a favor because they're all friends, right? Yeah. But they were around during that time because Choma was putting out Lolly Love uh, for them, with them. And uh, so they just did some voices. And it was just the timing was perfect. Because, you know, when could you ever get that to happen again? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's just like this amazing timing. Um, and yeah, so it's, yeah, it's got some really, really amazing people in it. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit? I'm going to kind of put these two together because they're pretty similar in vain, but um, parts of the family and Tales from the Crapper. Can you talk a little bit about making those? Yes, and it really was the same time because I had just hurt my hands. Like, I had my fingers cut off in a shoot. Can you, so, well, real quick, can you talk a little bit about that? I think that's a, it's an important story for beginning filmmakers is what not to do. I In Terra Firma, um, there's the three rules of production, safety to humans, safety to people's property, and very small print, make a good movie. Um, and, and that was not followed on this movie. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And, you know, people think that's just a joke, but it, in reality, it's really not. Because if you think about it, if you're not, unless you're a sociopath, you care about if people walk away hurt from your movie. Like myself, I would, um, while you can't be responsible for people's personal feelings, you can certainly um, assume responsibility for their physical wellness on yeah. set. If they went off at night on their own and they did something, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but if something happened on their own time, you could still feel really bad, but it's not like it happened on your set. So yeah, this happened on a set and um, uh, what- It wasn't a trauma movie. Let's just put that out there. Yeah, it wasn't a trauma movie at all. And um, really the bottom line, what happened was it, uh, what should have been, and I thought was a fake machete was real. And um, I it cut my, I, I wailed down on it. Cause I was, uh, you know, in the movie, let's get clear here, uh, killing somebody. And uh, my hand just seeing there's no hitch on a, on a machete. Uh, my hand just went straight down uh, with all the force of myself possible like jumping off the ground type of force and my fingers except for the bones my fingers all the tendons and nerves and everything were cut off so for about two years i was like getting operations on it um at my own expense which you know destroyed me financially on top of everything else and but during that period um and yeah safety to humans because honestly i that's a hard thing to live with. I mean, why would you want to live with that? Let alone do that, you know, have somebody have to live with it. I live with it for the rest of my life. I mean, I wake up every day with pain in my hand. So, and that was in 2002. So it's almost 20 years ago. It doesn't go away. 
Yeah. Um, so that's the most important thing. And people who laugh at insurance, I remember for a little while after that, I would say to people, you know, I'm not going on your set unless you have insurance. Cause this one didn't. And I was under the impression that they did, but they didn't. So from then on, I was like, you know, besides the usual stuff and stuff that I don't think an actor should have to talk about, but in the, in regards to your own safety, apparently you do and you should, does this have insurance? And, um, and some people would say, well, I'm going to get it, but, um, you know, just for the days that you were there or, um, I'll get it because it'll make you feel comfortable. And, you know, I really didn't say anything because my main concern was just when I was there, but my answer should have been at the time. No, that's not the right answer. The right answer is you should have it for anybody and you should have it not to make me feel comfortable, but to make um, everybody safe. I mean, it kind of blew my mind at first when people would uh, talk like that. Cause it was the wild west before that. Yeah. I mean, it was wild west and it might still be, you know, but I don't work on sets that don't have it, but Lloyd would always have it. If he had nothing else, you know, he would have insurance up the yin yang. Trust me. Like yeah. he would, he really would. Um, so yeah, lived with that, but did um, uh, the uh, parts of the family with Lloyd in Central Park. And it was pretty funny because I still had my cast at that point. So I just spray painted it black. So it would just kind of blend in a little bit more. Um, and also, yeah, for the, the doggy tails, I also was uh, in the middle of a bunch of operations as well. So, but um, the, it was funny and, you know, doing the stuff in Central Park, I love the outtakes as much as anything else because there's nothing that Lloyd can say or I could try to say to him and we're just not, you know, that we're not cracking each other up. And that kind of like, as small as that was, that movie and our part in it, uh, really that ends up being some of my favorite time acting with Lloyd Kaufman, because it was just, there's no pressure. You know, it was easy peasy, just a bunch of, you know, lines in Central Park kind of randomly with the trauma microphone, yeah. like it were news. And, um, you know, we just got to be ourselves and we just laughed so hard and it was really, really good. It was, it was turned out to be as, as, like I say, as small as the thing of it was, it was like one of the best memories working with Lloyd. And watching the outtakes on that, you can tell like you, just how good your guys' friendship is. On yeah. That. Yeah. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. So, I mean, I walk away from that one, like, you know, I hope the filmmakers aren't sad that we did that to one of their versions. Luckily he put both on. So that's yeah. a good thing. But, um, you know, yeah, really good memory, really, really good memory in the middle of all that craziness with the hand. I mean, and then kind of around that same time, you made a couple of short films that I really want to talk about with Jamie Greco, who worked at the Trome offices and they're excellent. If you haven't seen them, there's PDA Massacre, uh, which is on the Best of Troma Dance Volume 3 DVD, and Mommy May I Sleep With Death, which is on the Debbie Rashawn Confidential DVD, which yeah. has all sorts of fun, just like the skits and stuff we were talking about on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. 
Jamie and I, and then there's other shorts too that I don't know what happened with them and I don't know where they are exactly um, as far as whether they exist because we did like five or maybe six, but at least five short films. And they just, I mean, they just got better and better and better with each one. So, I mean, it was, they were all good and they were all fun and they were all done like uh, with such heart. Like Jamie is such uh, an incredibly ta talented director, mm -hmm. writer, really an amazing writer and performer. I mean, he's really got it all going on. So, I mean, our friendship and making those movies during that time was really very, very special for me. And I loved what he had to say um, in his movies. Like he's straight from trauma in the sense that, you know, he would never just make a short without having something said in it. Even if it's yeah. just something funny or a throwback, like in Mummy May I Sleep With Death, like the, the whole, you know, but he was like so far ahead of his time in so many ways, like making that short about, you know, bring up uh, um, the Solaris book and, you know, just like all of that stuff. Just what, a, what an incredible talent. And who knows, maybe still one day he'll put them all together and release them as the trilogy that he always wanted to. I would love to see that Jamie's voice and I really recommend everybody seek, seek uh, Jamie's movies out because they're, they're funny. They're, it's just something you don't typically see. There's definitely a trauma sensibility about them, but Jamie's voice is definitely unique when it comes to, to their really? movie. And I'm, I am telling you, he has, like you say, he is, he's got his own voice. Like it's not, you never feel that you feel like this is possibly a child of like John Waters and Lloyd Kaufman, but you never feel like it's a ripoff. Exactly. It was completely unique and you can't buy that you are that or you're not that and he is that yeah so please come out they're really good and so your relationship to jamie uh the time frame of that kind of leads into uh poultry guys which was the first time i ever met you um i'm gonna share my quick story about meeting you on set and I kind of want to ask uh what happened with poultry guys so um I was a blood boy on set and um one one day uh they're like oh Debbie's coming into set and then you know I was probably in the basement stirring up gallons of blood and then I remember it was like in the middle of the night and Debbie Rashawn is sleeping in the hallway and then like I just looked at my buddy who I was there with it's like now we're on a trauma movie there's Debbie Rashawn and it's like you know, we got to, you know, get, get our shit together because like, it's the real deal now. Like the only other time I felt that way is when Lloyd showed up on set and Joe Flyshaker when, but it was like, Oh my gosh. Um, and then I, if I'm not mistaken, weren't you originally going to be the pregnant lady in the movie? Yes. The pregnant lady at the, um, at the restaurant. That's correct. Yeah. That was what I came up for. And mm -hmm. so, so, um, and so you were there for maybe like two weeks, one week or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then, and then, um, and then one day, uh, you know, we, we got news from Jamie. Um, it's like, well, Debbie, Debbie has to leave. And me and one of the other blood boys helped carry your bags to the car. And you said goodbye to us, gave us a big hug and we, 
across the street back to the chicken bunker, not having shot anything um, with you. And we were all pretty upset that, that you left the set. And I just kind of want to know um, if you feel comfortable, like what happened? Um, I, you later went on to have a cameo shot on the rooftop of the, of the trauma building where you have a famous actress having a beer thrown at her. But I want to know yeah. what happened in the middle. Yeah, well, that's like an interesting story because um, if you were to go back, I it's hard to say, like maybe everything would be exactly the same. It's really hard to say. But uh, for me, um, I had just come off of um, all of the hand surgeries and, and realizing like, you know, I, it was actually a bigger deal then it would seem, it wasn't like, oh yeah, got my fingers cut off and then everything was okay. You know, yeah. it no, it wasn't like that. It was like, it took me years to really, you know, get over it. Even though I saw pain, it took me a lot of years to get over it. So I probably, from the time of um, Citizen Toxie, I would say, which was shot, not released, but shot in 99. That was like the last movie I had done with them, besides the ones we spoke about. But I mean, trauma, uh, Lloyd directed movie, I mean. Yeah. So between that time and then I had the, the hand stuff happen and the accident, um, all the operations and all this stuff was going on. And it was a really super dark period in my life. Like it was really bad. Depression was through the roof like just the the physical between the physical and the rehabilitation and going through like such a pitch and i really mean this a pitch black period in time in my life and i think i was up like i don't know if it was like 10 or even 20 pounds and so the lead actress doesn't even matter saying her name it's not the point of the story the lead actress, a number of times, when she would go by me, she would uh, sort of stand her breath, sort of like, um, wow, she got fat. Or like, what a fatso. Or something like that. Like, But it was constant. And I would like say to Jamie, I'd be like, well, that's really difficult for me right now because normally i probably turn around and fucking tell somebody off like yeah you know fuck you you don't know what i've been through you don't know you don't know anything what's going on with me and what what have i got to do with you worry about your own role right yeah but it was it just got to a point where i was like why am i sleeping on the floor eating cheese sandwiches not getting paid and i told lloyd like i just i didn't like cry to him i just told him i said you know this is kind of like weirding me out and he and I, listen he had to make his movie i've been there i've yeah. like directed a movie you gotta you gotta soldier on man like and my my part as the pregnant woman in the the diner uh, or excuse me the the fast food place um was just it was very it was very small so it wasn't like i i felt like i was fucking anybody over yeah. at all so i just said to jamie i was like i can't justify this 
even though in the big picture it's so meaningless and chances are after this movie i'll never even see this person again just right now it's so not good for me it's so dark for me that this is not this is not even being neutral this is like harming me um in a sense you know what i mean yeah and it's not about being tough it's not about bucking up it's not about any of that because when you're down that hole anybody will tell you that you know it's it it doesn't take a whole lot so that sort of constant badgering if you will um that's kind of what did it and i i said finally um to kevin who drove me back i said this is like so easy for Lloyd to get anybody else to do this part. It's like, it's just like, a, it's like a Ron Jeremy type of cameo. And I said, it's better for me if I go. Yeah. And so I went cause I, I didn't expect Lloyd to, to stop and nor should he have, let me get that straight, you know, nor should he have, but seeing I, I did my little attempt to sort of like fix it things needed to go on. And so I had to make that call. I had to make that call. So I did. So I left because I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna go through all this for art if I don't even feel like there's art happening for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the opposite of art, what's happening for me. So I had to make the hard call because it was for me. And somebody looking at the movie be like, well, it's not a hard call, it was like two seconds. Well, like when you're emotionally involved, invested in, uh, you know, with trauma with Lloyd, mm -hmm. then it is kind of a real super hard call. So that's what happened. I appreciate you telling me there was, you know, rumors on set, but no one quite knew. And I just remember, you know, giving you a hug goodbye. And I was like, man, but I'm really glad that you ended up being in the movie after all, like, I was yeah. not expecting to see that. And so when I saw the movie the first time, like, you know, I elbowed my buddy. It's like, oh man, like, I'm so happy that you ended up actually showing up in the movie. So. Yeah. And I give credit, well, of course to Lloyd, cause it's his movie. Nothing's going to happen without him. But I give credit to uh, Gabe Friedman who pulled that together and made it happen. And uh, you know, He's, he's, he's so awesome. And he, he did that because he was like, okay, this is the right thing to do. And everybody was back from Buffalo and, you know, they were editing and stuff and they were just like, you know, let's throw this in and, and have Debbie. And so that's, he's a great guy. He's a really damn good guy. And that's, it's because of him. Awesome. And, well, Lord, and Lord, like I say, but you know what I mean? Well, I'm super happy to, to see that, you know, that, it just made my heart smile seeing you in the movie. Oh, so, that's awesome. It, like, I, I loved watching, because um, you were with Jamie um, behind the scenes uh, with the huge crowd, and you were helping psych him up and, uh, and uh, just get him ready. Yeah. And, you know, a few years, well, quite a bit, because Poultry Guys took forever, but you directed your own movie, Model Hunger. Mm -hmm. um, so did you use, from all your years in Tromaville, um, what experiences did you bring over to directing your own movie? Like, what did you want to do and what did you definitely want to stay away from doing? Well, it's funny because it's the, the weird thing is that Jamie is not in model hunger, but here's the thing. 
like with my next movie, which is, you know, taking longer because of the pandemic to get around, he's definitely earmarked, which I haven't even asked him, uh, for a role in the movie. But because of the nature of Model Hunger, he's just such a um, thin guy. And the idea behind Model Hunger is to, uh, so it was just a different comment on things. So while the next one is very much up his alley, that one was sort of like, it was very difficult because, you know, we couldn't pay people to be up in Buffalo and, um, and not, and, and just be there on crew and just have like extra people. We had to have people that were local for a lot of the, a lot of the acting roles and the crew parts. But uh, what, as a director, what did I bring? The thing that, that was most important to me while I couldn't possibly throw money at every problem technically that may or may not come up, one thing I could do was get the best of the best for the acting. And so I tapped every friend that was right for every role that I could possibly get. I called in every every damn favor in the world because I knew if I had nothing else, I had a, a script that I was in love with written by James Mogart. Um, and he, uh, he was kind enough to let me do a lot of tweaking on set, but this is all James. And, um, and so my most important thing was to have the actors, you know, do their thing in rehearsal, working with them if they weren't rehearsing because they were just coming in from all over the world, by the way, yeah. uh, do their part. I knew that they could do it like because they were so good. So I called in every damn favor I had for the actors because I knew the actors are going to be the thing that makes this movie fly or die. And yes, the technical aspects are really important, but a movie can look beautiful. And if you don't have amazing actors who have something to say because you have a great script, then who cares how pretty it is? And I think your your cast is also should be mentioned, like from the leading ladies of Tromaville as well. You have Lynn Lowry, who is in yeah. one of Lloyd's first movies, and Tiffany Shepis. Yeah. And and Babette Bombshell is Babette. in there as well. It's Absolutely. it is a great movie. I I was telling Debbie before, but I was fortunate enough to see it, you know, in a theater setting with other people, and that was so much fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah, I know it is. And and Brian Fortune, who was in Game of Thrones, flew in from Ireland to play Colin Senior. Um, and he came in cause I did Wrath of the Crows with him and, you know, like just the extent that people and Voltaire, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I met him a long time before that in New York, we were doing a convention and, and I don't even know what year it was, but it was a long time before that. Then when Fangoria radio came together and they were starting to put together, like he had done, as you know, the MTV animation pieces. Yeah um the when they started their channel and so when fangoria wanted to start a channel which they didn't end up doing but i brought him on board so he was on salary there so then as a favor back he came out and he wanted to do it anyway but when i say favor I, you know he 
didn't want to stay in a house or anything. So he put himself up in a hotel and flew himself up there, which is so kind because he understands budgets, you know, yeah. so he didn't have to do that, but he did do it. And, um, and you never see him do that again. You like just, you know, who can afford it at all times, but it was a good time for him to do it. So just, yeah, the amount of love and, and, and kindness was phenomenal. And like you say, I mean, it's, it's the reason why it's a joy is because of this stunning set of actors. And I'm super happy to hear that you're making another, another movie. Cause you have a yeah. voice that I want to hear more from on the Thank other you. side of the, on both sides of the camera, but I'm super excited that, that you also wanted to venture into directing. Yes. Oh yes. Yes. Pandemic put everything kind of crazy. Yeah. But like I say, like, I'm not going to rush around and slap something together and, and have my or anybody else's name on it. So that's why I've been like completely fine with going from something that was going to shoot in uh, 2019 or 2020 to now 2022. So that's okay. Like what's the rush with art? Yeah. You know, exactly. Paramount has not got a deadline for me, for me. You know what I'm saying? Like they have not. So I just want to do it right. And it will be done right. Tickets sold already. I'm excited <laughs> <Yay>. to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Well, let's fly back to Tromaville for two more or three more technically movies. So uh, Return to Newcomb High and Return to Return to Newcomb High. Uh, you play Coach Cotter. And I love your Cretan makeup that you yeah. can. Can you tell uh, people about your your Cretan design? My Cretan design. Yes. Well, OK, so. Um, as you know, I'm sure that both movies were shot at the same time and they were uh, broken up into two pieces. Yes. Two so um, to my understanding, I'm not in the second one because my death scene was shot in New York City by Doug Sackman. And I don't think Lloyd liked how it came out because my head gets crushed in this uh, shower where I'm like, you know, being lecherous towards one of the girls and um uh one of the monsters in the movie comes and, and crushes my head um uh, and he wasn't happy with how that was looking with the rest of the movie so that wasn't even used maybe it's an extra i don't even know if it is on part two but up in buffalo shooting um the other scenes were a riot and i definitely uh tapped into the cretan world but what I specifically did, I was doing like a callback for myself only, like it wasn't for anybody else there. I was sort of doing a callback to uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, the Fabulous Stains. Like I completely redid the makeup exactly how it was done in that movie that was shot in 1980 when I was like a super young teen. I was like a, a, an extra on the movie for three months. And so that was I, your it, first movie, right? Yeah. And so I literally redid my makeup exactly like that movie. So there's kind of like a couple of throwbacks put together there. So it was really from that movie, but inspired by, okay, well, if this high school is like a bunch of new rockers, maybe there's some old rockers there too. So yeah. I kind of just, just went with that as opposed to doing some school marmy 
already kind of did like a 50s type of uh, teacher in Citizen Toxie. That's how I kind of looked at her. Like I got the wig and, you know, I got like uh, certain things to sort of have a 50s vibe to her. Um, yeah. Try to, <laughs> but, um, and with the glasses and everything. So with this one, I was like, ah, well, what if she's like an old rocker? Like, you know, an old Gen X rocker that's teaching <laughs> these kids. So that's kind of where I was coming at with that one. Who's lecherous, you know. Now we're going to a throwback from Tromeo and Juliet, but a lecherous lesbian. So like, <laughs> yeah, we're getting them all, get all, all the stuff together and kind of like do it up like that. But that was, that was a lot of fun. And that was, those poor people like Babs and everybody were sleeping in the, the basement of a, a crematorium or something like that or yeah. a, a funeral parlor or something. So woo yeah i had friends up in there because i had just made model hunger so i was staying with them but the trauma crew and cast really like they really sweated it out for that one boy <laughs> holy yeah. cow yeah it's one of those i don't know what if the living conditions were worse on poultry guys or our return to newcomb high they both sounded about equally we didn't have black widows as far as i know on poultry guys but i hear on return to newcomb high some of the the crew got black widows like crawling around on them oh my god that like there's a lot of conditions that have never bothered me because i've always been there for the art but i'll tell you something poisonous spiders i would be <laughs> wide awake with a flashlight just like not sleeping for the two weeks like this because i have such a fear of poisonous spiders it's horrible oh, no. horrible like that's my that's my kryptonite so man i give them so much credit they were awesome yeah they, they were so awesome and then you had great people like you know sam that i knew from buffalo was like you know he was amazing on that working on that movie and Oh, there's so many, so many good people from like the poultry guys shoot and then from like the Slime City, uh, Slime City Massacre shoot. So you had like two worlds coming together and like a lot of the people had worked on Model Hunger, they were working on, cause he, he shot his movie directly after Model Hunger. They were in pre-production for um, uh, the uh, return to, return to class of Newcomb High two set <laughs> um <laughs> when we were shooting model hunger so lloyd was already up there when he did his bit for model hunger which was cut as mine was which he was <laughs> i think i think honestly i think he's still mad at me because he was not he was not happy but i at least told him well we were both cut you know what i mean i cut myself <laughs> it was just a matter of timing and they're on the dvd i mean if you want to yeah. see lloyd's hilarious uh door-to-door -door salesman it's on the DVD and it, he is hilarious. But there's a point in any movie where you're sort of like, okay, we have to like start getting to the story. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you got to cut out all the, you, there's bits you love no matter what, but it doesn't help the movie. <laughs> yeah, and that's all it was. And like, I went to the garbage can too. Like we both did, because we were both like door-to-door uh, -door salesmen that came to um, the, every. Uh, Mr. Winter's door before the, the uh, cheerleaders do enough to see the movie to know what I'm talking about. But they're actually the third group where that's why he's so frustrated. Yeah. He's saying you deviants because like I'm trying to sell, you know, a lesbian sex book and Lloyd's trying to sell dildos. It's like, crazy. it's, it's all of the map. So by the time they get there, Mr. Winters is like, you're all a bunch of deviants. It's 
it's really what he's saying, but you know, nobody knows necessarily why. And that's okay. It still works. But yeah, if you want to see Lloyd's amazing, and I do mean that hilarious, uh, door, door salesman, you got to get the DVD. So, <laughs> and he's still mad at me. Sorry, Lloyd. Look, I'll, I'll be sorry till I'm six feet under. What can I say? <laughs> Well, and then I think we should talk about the most recent uh, trauma movie, which I haven't seen yet, just the pandemic. Um, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. We play Senator Sebastian. And all I know is I've seen you with uh, some prosthetics and a sombrero. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. There's so many stories about this one. This is like, it's hard to say, but could it be like it it's impossible to say that any one of lloyd's pieces of art because i really look at them like that and i'm dead serious yeah so it's impossible to say one person's piece of art is better than another piece of their art but this one is like so far up there because what it has to say the commentary on current things like social justice warriors and cancel culture and but, but so much more than that, like Big Pharma and just like everything, what you would expect from Lloyd, but, but just with so, so much panache and outrageousness and the song and dance numbers are in there, which is super cool. Um, and which is like, it seems like he really likes them because it's like a standard now. Yeah. Like since Poltergeist. Since Poltergeist. Musicals. Yeah, I mean they're just they're they're there pretty much for the most part, but um, it was uh, really um, an amazing shoot because we were shooting again in Queens, and it was sort of like the first time Lloyd came back to shooting in an area where he can go home at night. So, um, and I love I will always love shooting in the New York uh, metro area. So was, that was a joy for me too, but. Um, yeah, again, the talent, what it has to say. Some of the stories are hilarious. Like when the ship, basically streamlining the storyline without giving anything away, um, there's a ship of a bunch of like complete assholes. Like, and I'm one of them. And we're like part of Big Pharma. And we're in the, the belly of the boat, like parting it up, drinking, doing coke, all this kind of stuff. Like just being assholes, like money grubbing, cares about people type of people. And um, I am the sidekick of the Lloyd uh, female character. He plays brother and sister. And so they're going to, ultimately the boat will crash and it's gonna crash up on Tromaville, New Jersey. Um, and then everything goes from there. But yeah. before it, cra it crashes because of the whale's uh, fecal matter, basically there's so much of it that it, it basically topples the boat, boat like uh, an iceberg did with Titanic, but it's with uh, whales jumping over the boat and dumping on the boat. <laughs> so yeah, go figure, you know, it's an ecological statement right there. And um, so, but when the boat is going down, everybody basically is, gets like uh, uh, a, literally a boatload of shit, fake shit dumped on them like, you know, in, in their, you know, sort of shot, right? So yeah. cut everybody getting like dumped on by shit. And so when me and Lloyd were um, doing ours, we were like uh, obviously faking uh, snorting coke and all that and parting up the storm and then the crap gets dumped on us. And um, Lloyd being the trooper, like he'll always let everybody go first. And it, it was the same 
crap, so to speak, like special effects crap, but crap nonetheless, um, being like taken up off the floor and put back into the vats. So being the last people shot, this is now <laughs> not just special effects crap, it's like everything else I went with, oh, no. like of all those shots beforehand, as you know how it yeah. goes. And Lloyd being like a total trooper and wanting to do his last so that, you know, everybody else could have like fresher shit. But I was in the shot with Lloyd. So that meant <laughs> I went last. So it was like the whole time I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. It's not it, having it done was an issue, but um, my mind imagining at this point after like, I'm, it, I'm over guessing probably, but let's call it 50 dumps. Like uh, what on earth is in there? Like oh, it's no. just, I gotta not think of this. Like, you know, going back to Troy and Juliet, just got to do it really, really good. So we don't have to do it. It's like, oh, here we go again, right? So um, we did it and, you know, it happened. And um, yeah, it was super, super gross. But <laughs> it, hopefully it looks good. Because that's at the end of the day, it, if you got the shot, then that's great. But it was like, and then after that, the funny thing was, I said, okay, you know, I'm completely absolutely top to bottom caked in whatever this is yeah um so i said okay how do i get washed up before you go in a vehicle like you can't certainly can't go in like that so they said okay yeah go out the back we were shooting at a restaurant right so the inside of the boat was one side of the restaurant made up and then the the party room for for when we get to where we're going in tromaville is the other half of the restaurant it was massive but they did it like that built one to look like inside of a boat. So they said, go to the back of the restaurant and um, you know, the PAs have it all handled. I was like, oh great, okay. So I go to the <laughs> back and the PA said, oh great, okay, yeah, no problem. Uh, we've got this hose and we're outside. We're in like an alleyway, mind you, but we're outside. Yeah. And they said, so do, all you gotta do is take off your clothes and we just hose you down. And I'm like, what? Like, what? You mean, you mean the humiliation goes on? Okay. But you know what? I totally did it because it's trauma. And I was like, okay, I signed up for this. I'm going to go out all the way. I'm going to go, okay, fine. So I took all of my clothes off and I was hosed down in an alleyway behind the restaurant <laughs> with a smile on my face. And I was grateful to get it off. So that poor PA, except first I was like, Never did I complain, mind you. That's the truth. But I was just sort of like, I had to wrap my head around the idea for a minute. So I had to take a minute and go, okay, I can do this. I'm over 50 and I'm in the back alley and I have to get naked with cake on, fake. But I'm going to do it. But I <laughs> am going to damn well do this. I'm going to do it trauma style. I'm not going to like say, no, I'm not going to do it. So I did it. And while well, I was, you know, probably the most the funniest story from it all but i got to work with lloyd and hearkening back to like what we're talking about parts of the family it was it was such a joy because we had so many laughs like he still was directing so it still had that other element he had a lot of pressure on him yeah but um at the same time it was amazing because i got to work with him as a sidekick for one of his two characters and that made it like such a joy and fun a lot of laughs a lot of great times i'm super excited to see that 
I can't wait. Well, before we wrap it up, I want to just do like a quick rapid fire where you say one or two things about these other movies that you're in that Troma put out. So the first one, Hellblock 13. Oh my God, Gunnar Hansen. The meeting of Gunnar Hansen, working in a shut down freezing cold prison, but loving every damn second of it because I got to be with Gunnar that I knew before, but it was the first time we worked together and it was epic, epic. Meet Weed America. The interesting movie, just really kind of weird um, because I came in and I did the scenes and I don't really have a lot of anecdotes about it except for the director was an extremely sweet young guy. I don't know what became of him. Maybe he's like a big Hollywood guy now. I don't know. But um, a lot of fun. Brief, brief. Attack of the Tromaggot. Attack of the Tromaggot was a fellow, and I want to say he's from Germany, uh, put together some scenes that I did, um, like random stuff when we are in Cannes promoting probably Citizen Toxie at that point. So he just kind of shot weird stuff and he was staying there too with us in the apartment. So he probably just shot us doing weird shit. Hey guys, let's shoot something. And so I don't even know what's in there. (laughs) 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 Which makes it even better. It makes it even funnier. The Chainsaw Sally Show. Amazing. Good friends, lifelong friends, Jimmy and April O'Brill and uh, man good times and i and did two seasons always hope to do a third or an animated version and you never know maybe we will we we will but uh yeah people love it too people love it it's fun and i i love working with them loved making the the good sisters with them was was truly an epic experience so they're family they're my family vhs massacre yeah, so here's some guys that I did like the Bikini Bloodbath series with. They did three of those movies. Uh, we did um, Mark of the Beast, uh, 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 Kipling's version of Kipling's uh, story. Pretty well kept to the original story too. So did all those movies with them and then they, uh, well, Thomas uh, Seymour, I should say, anyway, of the duo, um, did VHS Massacre, and I came on as not just an interviewee, but a producer. And then uh, we made a second one, because the first one did well. The story wasn't completely told yet. And now we're working on a new documentary, untitled, like um, sort of a, it's off in the distance, but we're, we're beginning to work on it, where Troma picked up a bunch of movies from the library of a, a film company. And uh, so we're gonna be doing a documentary, not VHS Massacre 3, but a new documentary on these particular movies, like action movies from the 80s and 90s. So it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Teen Ape versus the Monster Nazi Apocalypse. (laughs) Yeah, oh (laughs) wow. Which is funny to to say real quick, like like you're in a bunch of Chris Seaver movies and this is the only one that Troma's put out, but they're all very Troma. They're all very trauma, and it was funny because it was a lifelong dream of Chris to be able to combine his work with trauma. And I met Chris through Doug Sackman, uh, so it's all like kind of perfect that the full circle would be that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was 
it was absolutely a joy and it was funny as hell. And I think people who like trauma and like Chris Sieber will definitely like it. I mean, I think it was a, an end of an era for him. I think he went on to do like a different kind of movie ever so slightly, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it was the last movie I'd done with him. And um, we just actually spoke about it because his movies are coming out on a special release via Tempe Video. That's awesome. So I think that, yeah, that's going to be a part of it, I'm pretty sure, anyway. Um, but yeah, we talked a lot about it on that, but I love Chris Sieber so much. Another child of trauma in, a, yeah. in his own way, but a unique voice like Jamie. Exactly. It, yeah. you're, you're in a bunch of his movies and Mova's zombie ass kicker and people should definitely yeah. check him out. And love then, it. Love, love working with him. Just want to say too, like he, the thing with him is man, if you have a good idea, he will do it. He is so into improv. He's very clear about what he wants. Don't get me wrong. He's like to the letter, but at the same time, he's all about making things better and better and better. So I love the reason I love working with him. I just want to say that like improv with the right people is like, there's nothing better because you improve upon something. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, this one is, is pretty new uh, news as of this recording, Frankie and Blunderland. Yes. That's actually a movie I did a few years back. I was uh, Caleb who I met on citizen Toxie. He was in that movie. Um, he was one of the diaper mafia and he also was, I don't know if he was a line. I think he was a line. He was a line producer on poultry geist. He's a assistant director on poultry. Geist. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I apologize. Assistant director, big difference. Yeah. And, uh, he made his own movie. I was out in LA doing a guest spot on the, uh, reality series called scream queen. Not that not to be mixed up with the, um, narrative series. There was like a, a show, there was two seasons and uh, Jamie King was the main, um, I guess you would say judge or mentor of the girls. And I went on for one episode as like a guest judge for like this photo session. So I was out in LA and he was editing it. And so he said, Hey, you know, I want you to come and, and be a spider. And then if you harken back to my fear, I was like, <laughs> Yeah, I want to be a spider. Like, you know, I haven't done that. Like, I'm all about doing things <laughs> I've never done. So I love mad scientists. Like, I love things that I have never done. Like, that's sort of my thing. Like, yes, another thing to check off the list. So, yeah, <laughs> be a spider. Be a spider. And um, so I, we just literally shot it in my hotel room because he was just really looking for the face to put onto the spider anyway, so we could do it anyway. So we put up all the black caping and shot me uh, for a couple of hours as doing dialogue as a spider. And so that was a few years ago, I wanna say 2012 or 2013. And, but now it's coming out on Troma Now, like just now, keep saying now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, so it's new to Troma and I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It's a head trip and it's a great head trip. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, I... As a spider, Zach. I, I can't wait to see you as a spider. I, I <laughs> yeah. love Caleb's movies. I like Die You Zombie Bastards and Red yeah. Breakfast. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm, I will before. I'm going to talk to him actually next week. So I'm going to watch Excellent. it before. <laughs> good. Oh, tell him I said hi. I love that man. I, I love that. He's, he's a good, good guy. I'm telling you. He's awesome. You got to keep them, the good ones. 
keep them close. We're all part yeah, of the trauma true. family here. So yeah, I couldn't agree more, Zach. True. And the other ones can fall away. And meanwhile, the core people will just go on loving each other. Exactly. Yep. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Is there, what, what's next that we all should be looking for from Debbie Rashawn? Well, there's a couple of movies that I'm going to be doing this fall, but with the pandemic, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I mean, uh, Guns of Eden with uh, Greg Lamberson and Buffalo, um, Damnation of Dracula, an amazing take on Dracula in the indigenous world in Ontario. Uh, it's being shot, so it's an amazing new take on, on Dracula. And there's a few others and a lot of radio stuff, like radio plays, I mean. Um, but I don't want to get too far ahead. Yeah. So perhaps, um, you know, because things can ch change, they probably won't, but you just never know. So yeah. if people just uh, go to debbyrashawn.com, I usually put all the news up there just to be safe. And where can they follow you on the socials? Well, uh, like I say, if they go to debbyrashawn.com because it's so much easier, yeah. all, all the links are there because most places it's, it's, See, on Facebook, it's Debbie Rashawn News. On Twitter, it's Debbie Rashawn. On Instagram, it's official Debbie. So it's kind of not the same thing. So if they, if they really want to come and see me, they really want to, all you got to do is go to my, the old-fashioned URL, <laughs> DebbieRashawn.com. But all the links are there to make it easy. Awesome. And yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And as for me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Lego Larry. You can follow the show at Talkin' Trauma. And always, stay traumatized. <laughs>